Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 105, recorded December 15th, 2012. So this is our 46th 90s episode where we're going to cover the original series uh, issues 55 through 57. Yes, we have our Klingon in the past series going. Three issue story arc. Right, so a continuation from the last time we did the original series, which was what, episode 102. And this uh, finishes off that story arc. Right. And actually, it's kind of interesting in the fact that this definitely is all about somebody going into the past and changing the Star Trek present. Right. Which is kind of like what happened in the 2009 movie. Hmm. Good point. Good point. Only, if I may make a general statement, this did not turn out to be nearly as um, entertaining as the 2009 movie. Ouch. Ouch, sir. Ouch. Well, I mean, the well, 2000 movie was pretty darn, darn good. A lot more time jumping in this one. Not yes, just there is. one big event. This is multiple trips. style. Yeah, <laughs> quantum leap. Only they've got control over uh, where they're going back due to the use of a, an old friend. Yeah, which will... We'll, uh, I think I have a comment or two about that. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I guess we should just jump right into it. Issue 55 came out December of 1993. It's entitled Time Crime 3. Time to Time. The writer was Howard Weinstein. Penciler is Rob Davis. Inker is Arnie Starr. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Colorist, Matt Webb. And editor is Alan Gold. So the cover shows a human-looking man in Klingon robes. Uh, he takes up most of the page. And his fists are up into the sky. He's He has a very interesting hairstyle in that it's a uh, he's bald on top, except and then his this, the hair on his sides and his back is really long. So he looks a lot like uh, Bozo the Clown, where he hasn't had his hair cut in a, in a few months. Uh, the hair color itself is also odd in that it's black with white stripes on each side. So it kind of looks like he has a skunk pelt attached to each one of his ears. Think Bride of Frankenstein. There you go, Bride of Frankenstein. So uh, above him, with his, you know, like I said, his fists are up in the air, we see some uh, Da Vinci-looking airplanes or gliders, but these have propellers flying around. And then uh, below him, superimposed uh, images of Sulu and Kirk in their... Uh, Original series, smooth-headed Klingon makeup, holding blasters out like they're trying to, like they're doing a tryout for Charlie's Angels. Uh, the caption on the cover reads, "The gods be with the peacemaker. For today, he must die." So the story starts off with Kirk and his son having a little heart-to-heart aboard the USS Enterprise nuclear vessel in the San Francisco Bay. David accuses Kirk of planning to leave without saying goodbye. Kirk is having a hard time since he knows that if he succeeds in this mission and resetting the timeline, then David and the Enterprise will die in the orbit of Genesis. He tells his son that he's just been busy 
They embrace, and Kirk beams aboard, leaving David alone on the airplane carrier. The Romulan Admiral Jericus and his sub-commander Ventria prepare to teleport to the Enterprise themselves. Uh, they're going to be observers on the mission to the Guardian of Forever. We flash to the Enterprise, which is now in orbit of the Guardian's planet. Kirk and his team of Klingons and humans disguised as Klingons beam down and enter the Guardian at the exact moment that Spock commands. The six of them appear in what looks like European mid, or like a European medieval town, except that the horses are replaced by large lizards. Kirk splits the team up into two groups. Worf and Sulu are tasked to find lodgings for the group, and Kirk, McCoy, Ahura, and Kor are trying to find Kartan and Zorjak. And just as a reminder for you guys following along at home, Kartan is the leader of the Klingons in this time. And in the real timeline, he was killed by Zorjak, who is his chief of security. And then in the timeline that this Kirk is from, Zorjak did not kill Kartan, and the Klingons never became the aggressive culture that we all know and love. So Kirk and them are there to try to make sure that Zorjak kills Kartan. Got all that? Good. Alright, so Kirk and his group are mingling with the crowd of Klingons who are trying to see Kartan. Before too long, Kartan's parade shows up with Zartan at the lead, making sure that everybody gets out of the way. Zartan obviously doesn't think Ahura is getting out of the way fast enough, and he jabs her with the butt of his sword in the gut. She goes down and takes several of the onlookers with her. Kirk gets very defensive and pulls out a knife and holds it to Zartan's throat, saying she was not even in the way. Zartan and his fellow guards make short work of Kirk, beating him up and then dragging him away before Kartan arrives mounted on his lizard-like horse. Kirk is being held in a cell in a castle. He is awakened in the dark and ordered to get up and follow the guard. He is not told where he's going. He thinks that he might be going to his execution. But he's surprised that instead of being executed, he's being granted an audience with Kartan himself. Kartan excuses Zartan, and he and Kirk spend the rest of the night talking and looking over Kartan's plans and inventions. It seems that Kartan is quite the Renaissance man. He has designed airplane gliders, he makes his own glasses, and he dreams of his people being farmers instead of warriors. In the morning, Kartan escorts Kirk out of the castle, and Kirk soon meets up with the rest of his team. They have breakfast, and, and, and while they're leaving the restaurant, or eating area, whatever you call it back then, Zartan shows up and gives Kirk a hard time again. Then he turns around and departs. As Zartan and his group are walking near a cart, which is also being pulled by one of these lizard horses, the cart explodes and kills Zartan with it. The crew make it to their room and go over what they've learned. The explosives in the cart were indeed Klingon made, but from the future. Now they are puzzled. Why would Klingons from the future try to stop Kartan's assassination? As they speculate on this, Worf slips away. Worf has taken it upon himself. If a Klingon needs to kill Kartan to set the timeline back to normal, then he will do it. He prays for forgiveness and then blasts Kartan with a phaser blast. 
The six time travelers return through the Guardian of Forever back to the 23rd century and learn that the timeline has not been corrected. The Romulan Empire is still gone. Nothing has changed. Worf and the Romulan observers are stunned by the news. To be continued. <laughs> that was very good that you gave that little reminder to everybody. Because it has <laughs> been a little while. <laughs> and it's a little complicated. So it's, that's that's good. It's incredibly complicated. Yes. Yeah. And then especially here in the next issue or two, it gets even more complicated. It does. As a matter of fact, uh, definitely when we find out that things didn't go back to the way they're supposed to be, it is a poser why that is. Because definitely Worf did the job. Which, by the way, is even more difficult because he comes from a time, just as a reminder, of uh, of peace-loving Klingons. So, you know, killing people is not a, a natural thing for this version of Worf. Right. Yep. Well, I mean, he is a, he is a science officer aboard a Federation starship, so... Exactly. I mean, you, you, you're ready to do what you need to do, but come on. He, I mean, he's more human-like. So sure. Cold, killing somebody in cold blood is pretty pretty hairy. Right. You know, not to be nitpicky or, or drudge up things of the past, but I yeah. think I kind of hit on to something that I was having a hard time with you maybe even a month or so ago when we were doing that Q uh, issue of The Next Generation where Q changes everybody to Klingons. Right. And they're just automatically these hateful, horrible people. Right. Quote-unquote Klingons. Right. This here proves what I was trying to say is that it's a nurture thing, not a... Not a nature thing. Not a nature thing. That, right. That Klingons, if raised not to be an aggressive people, would be, you know, just normal people. Nice guys. Yeah. So, take that, Ken. Told you. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. I would also point out that, you know, this happened like 500 years before the modern day, so that's uh, a lot but of time to alter your uh, your, your people's trajectory. But, yeah, I mean, whatever. I don't want to dredge that up again. I'm just <laughs> but, being facetious here. I, I don't really have a point there. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. So, I got to say, at the very beginning, it's cool to see the flat top USN Enterprise on display or whatever in the future, but it's like, so there really was no point to having it, ha- having Kirk's goodbye set on the uh, on that version of the Enterprise. I mean, they just felt like doing it. Well, I thought it was awesome, only in that. Oh, the, I think it's awesome too. It's just you know, the week that I'm reading that was the week that the USS Enterprise was retired in real life. Yeah. So I mean you guys aren't aren't that familiar with it the nuclear vessel USS Enterprise was retired what two weeks ago three weeks ago um, I, I did not know that at the time of this recording yeah so but it, it's a pretty old ship I mean it is it is the first nuclear uh, flat top right I uh, believe but, it is yeah so it's been around a while it's been in service a while um, so it's good to see that in the future at least in this <laughs> in this version of it it's it's still on display somewhere when they retired it, did you read anything about where they intend to uh, mothball it? Keep it? No. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a Gerald Ford nuclear submarine. I know that much, but I don't remember where they said they were going to retire it. Hopefully San Francisco, because that's where I've seen it in the future. 
<laughs> well, they've got the Midway in Hawaii on Oahu, which is a which is a cool tour. Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry, San Diego. What am I saying? It's in San Diego. So it, it's cool that that you can go and see the Midway like that, and uh, it'd be cool if you could see the uh, Enterprise too, somewhere. Yeah, let me let me. Um... Well, it doesn't matter. Folks could could anyway. look at that. Like I said, it was just it was just kind of cool that I'm reading this comic book that shows the Enterprise in the future. Uh, right. And then that was like a week earlier. I was reading articles about how it was retired. Retired, right? Cool. Yeah. Kowinky dink. Exactly. Okay, so uh, there's definitely nothing. I mean, it's cool that they did it there, but it's like it's it's just a little on the gratuitous side. I mean, because like, well, why were they there? <laughs> I mean, it just didn't really make a lot of sense. It was cool. It just didn't make a lot of sense, but whatever. Just go with it. Oh, I'm going with it. I just wanted to point that out. I thought on page seven, towards the bottom panel, there's a there, there's a shot of Ohura, supposedly in her Klingon makeup, but she doesn't look that Klingon-y. She's definitely a, a, a smooth-headed Klingon, but really, she's, she doesn't look that different. I mean, around the eyes, it's a little darker and stuff, but... Yeah. Well, I think that's how they looked in the original series, when we saw that the women... Because I think we only saw women Klingons once. Back in the original... They just had band out hair, like she does. Yeah, the only one I remember seeing a female Klingon in was season three, Day of the Dove. There was a a female Klingon in there. Um, I don't remember seeing them very often. I thought it was the the one where they were, um, not Organians, but whatever that one, the, the, the super beings that... That caused yeah. them to... The Organian Peace Treaty? That made the Organian Peace Treaty? Yeah. What episode was that? Um, I, I, that... I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but I also don't remember a female Klingon in it. But there mm-hmm. might have been. So and you're you saying there what? was. Uh, well, maybe not. I'm also mixing in Expanded Universe stuff that had that revisit that time. And right. there was definitely female Klingons in that one. So I might be misremembering. Uh, well... Yeah, there might have been female Klingons in there. All I'm saying is the only one I remember clearly there being a female one was that Day of the Dove episode. And quite frankly, I don't remember what, what she looked like that much. But anyway, she, she just looks very kind of normal. But right. Uhura. And, and by the way, why are they, why did they bring Uhura anyway? Anyway. So they can use uh, her to translate, obviously. <sighs> Well, I don't want to spoil the overall story, but her getting knocked to the ground to give Kirk a reason to be gallant and get caught, that's <laughs> pretty much all she does in this in this story. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, and I also don't understand, even when David and, and Kirk are having that little talk, Kirk says one word and Klingon, and then that's supposed to imply that, oh, he's learning the Klingon language, right? right? But he also says that he's he's going to rely on Kor and Worf to do all the talking. Right. And as we see, Kor, I mean Klingon, immediately he gets he gets captured and sent to prison to go meet with, you know, the leader. Is he speaking in Klingon or is he speaking in English? He's speaking in Klingon. Come on. So he did learn it that well. I guess so. And, no, and nobody thinks he sounds like a, you know, an idiot. <laughs> what are you, a simpleton? You, you can't even talk right. Yeah. 
Exactly. You're using, you know, it'd be like us showing up to medieval England and using slang we have today, and nobody says that. Well, that, or more like it, us ending up in Mexico and trying <laughs> to say, hablo inglés? It's like, ah! Mexico of 3,000 years ago. <laughs> well, uh, okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, actually, I, more I, like, was it four, 500 years? Yeah, or, 500 well, whatever. Years ago, right, yeah. It's still, yeah, you're getting my point, though. I'm getting your point. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just that the day they bothered to even say that at the beginning and then never mention it again. Well. Everybody just speaks like normal. Yeah, it, it, it was a little something at the beginning that, that helps explain how Kirk is magically able to talk to these people, but... Plus, we've all seen Star Trek VI, which happens after this book, and yet they don't speak Klingon there because Kirk and McCoy both needed translators while they were <sighs> on trial. Ahura needed to go through a physical paper-bound book to learn Klingon when they were trying to sneak in to uh, Aurora Pente. Mm -hmm. It's not all that consistent, Ken. No, it isn't, but that's okay. Nah, it's fine. And there's also magical universal translators that somehow get thrown in the mix anytime somebody talks about this stuff. So whatever. Which is how it should be. That's all they should have said. We're going to use universal translators. I would have been happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Anyways, what else you got? I thought it was interesting that Spock did not go on this trip, yet Ohura and Sulu did, which is a little unusual. I mean, usually if... I mean, yes, Spock is not part of the Enterprise crew in this timeline and hasn't been for a while, but it's like he's become so knowledgeable about the Klingon uh, past, you know, working with Kor. And I know uh, Spock doesn't look like a Klingon, but neither does... I mean, everybody else had uh, surgery or whatever, the skin pigment ch changing, whatever, to make them look like Klingons. I think they could have done something with Spock too, but right. it's fine. I just, I just want to comment. It's just a little odd. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I only thing I can think of is that maybe they needed Spock there to babysit the Guardian so that they can time their exit and retrieval to the exact millisecond. No. Yeah. And also, with Romulans hanging around, you want somebody to keep an eye on them, but still. True. And and I like having Sulu on here. I, I, I kind of felt like maybe they're throwing him in here. Um, maybe they're throwing him in here because he hasn't had any screen time lately since... <laughs> In the normal timeline, he's no longer aboard the Enterprise. Right. So maybe, you know, in his in his contract, I have to be an X amount of issues. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the Taz original timeline, I, I kind of like Sulu-Kirk pairings. Oh, yeah. I think they work well together. Yeah, and I really like the expanded universe stuff that has Captain Sulu and Captain Kirk having to team up for various different things. So right. There's comic books, there's um, novels that that deal with this time, and uh, I always like it. I really think that there's a good rapport there between the two of them. Right. And then, of course, they do it a lot in the movie reboot universe, which is pretty cool, I think. Cool. Um, All right. Uh, my, my last comment is just... Uh, oh, I'm uh, two more comments, and I'm done. I thought the dinosaur horse, or reptilian horse, whatever it is, Kataran is riding is uh, is kind of cool looking, interesting looking. Yeah. Um, I think Kataran is depicted in this book as a really nice guy. Super I mean, nice. he's a really nice guy. I mean, uh, uh, apologizing to Kirk for his ruffians and then 
you know, talking to him like, hey, how's it going? Hey, take a look at all my Da Vinci stuff, you know. You know, all my inventions and, and airplane drawings and all this kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. You know, he, he, I mean, he's, he's got a, a, a telescope sitting there. All this stuff. Yeah, if you he's look, he's a very unusual Klingon. He has a microscope. He also has, like, what looks like a Ventro... Uh, what's a, a... What are those old record players called? A Ventrola? V- Victrola or something Victrola, like that. Victrola, yeah, something like that. He has one of those. I mean, he's... He's got it. He's got it going. He is an inventor. Yes, he is. Yeah, I didn't really like that they basically took Da Vinci and put some bumpy heads on him and then... <laughs> it's Carton. Yeah. Oh, you but, didn't like that? Yeah. I, it's a, I, I think they went a little overboard with it. I think but. they went a little... I like I like the idea that not all Klingons are bloodthirsty and that this one Klingon leader could have taken the whole Klingon Empire to a different direction. Yeah. I love that. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, just, I think they tried too hard to make him... Da Vinci. Yeah. But. Well, uh, and one last comment on that. I mean, Da Vinci did just about everything, but he was not a politician. Uh, he was not a leader of men, you know. I mean... True. Uh, so so he was a multi-talented guy that did all these things, but he was not a leader or anything like this. So this Klingon is not only appears to be everything Da Vinci was. Uh, of course, you don't know what kind of religion... <laughs> <laughs> he never talks about religion. Da Vinci was very religious. Um, but he seems to be even more that this guy could do all that and be rising to be the uh, Klingon leader of everybody. That's right. really that's really impressive. Wow. Yep. Anyway, that's, that's all I have to say. All right. My last comment was that, you know, and it's a nitpick of the cover, but the cover shows these airplanes with propellers. In the back. Mm-hmm. In the background. And yet the Da Vinci gliders that, that we see um, are just gliders. Yeah. And who the heck is the bald guy? Is he yes. human or is he Romulan or is he Klingon? Who knows? Well, he he's, he's, he's not Kataran. Nope, not he at all. He doesn't look like him. Uh, he's obviously an angry guy with all these little spikes on all over his outfit and stuff. He, he's a warrior guy. Right. He's he's actually a lot more like the uh, like the captain of the guard, uh, what Zorjak or whatever his name is. Zortan or whatever. I thought it was Z O J A K, but I could be Zorjak. Zor- yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know who that guy is, and you're completely right. It's it actually the guy on the cover and the planes are more like what we're going to see in the next issue. Exactly. So <laughs> it's, it's so a little true. ahead of itself. Right. And then the uh, Sulu and Kirk shot there on the cover. I mean, it yeah. looks like they have revolvers, contemporary well, it, revolvers. Well, it looks like they have Old West revolvers. Right. So they, they kind of look like uh, old-fashioned cold peacemakers, only a little different from that. But you look at them, and it's incredibly like uh, a Wild West pistols. Right. Has Which, an extra little thing on the bottom. It looks like right, like a little spike. But most of the rest of the top part and and, and the uh, the trigger guard is a little flared out also, which is a little bit different. But you know the revolver itself, the hammer, the barrel, the the little ejector part that 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 it helps eject the cartridges when you're you know right. trying to uh, reload. Yep. That's all there, mm-hmm. just like John Wayne used to carry. So yeah. So I, I thought that was weird, and, and their poses I thought was weird. It was very Charlie's Angelish. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. 
But anyways, sure. all right, that was that was my last comment, just the cover. And, and we know covers and the books don't always jibe because they're made by different people at different times. But Yeah, and they have different objectives. <laughs> right, right. I mean, the yeah. cover wants to sell you on this issue. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a movie poster. Not always the movie <clears throat> poster has anything to do with the movie itself. Right. Like, I doubt we see Cumberbatch inside of a broken-out building that's shaped exactly like the Starfleet logo. Probably I, not. I really don't think that's going to happen. I, I think you're right. But it made a cool poster. <laughs> it made a very cool poster. Okay. All right. I, actually, I lied. I got one more comment. Oh, How okay. does the Guardian pull people from the past back to the future? I was thinking the same thing. Okay. Because if – I'm not 100% sure of this, but I'm pretty sure that in the original City on the Edge of Forever, you see them coming – when they come back from the past, you see them coming out of the Guardian. Right. But do we ever see them – in the past, going through something. No, I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think so. And again, with this, they don't. Well, as we'll see in these issues, you don't see them going through any like a portal or a distortion or anything. Uh, you always right. see them coming back through the guard through the guardian. I agree. I think they have to click their heels and then they just jump through. That's it. But, Click together the heels of their ruby slippers. But I think I might have. I mean, this is the only. This is. I mean, not to give a spoiler. This is the only time we see them actually jumping back through in these three issues. But I have questions about it that'll come up later. Okay. So just planting the seed. Cool. On to the next one. This is issue 56, Time Crime Part Four. Call back to yesterday. Published date is January 1994. The creative team is identical. I will not repeat. The action-packed cover shows Kirk leaping out of the way of a crashing Klingon flying craft. The relatively primitive flying craft has twin propellers on the back and a Gatling gun on the fuselage next to the cockpit, which is occupied by an angry Klingon that seems more upset about Kirk's likely escape than the fact that he will probably die in about a second from now. The story opens with Worf telling Dr. McCoy about his dream. First, Worf is firing at Kataran with his phaser, as it really happened in their trip to the past. Then Worf becomes Kataran. They are speaking in sickbay, where McCoy still is in Klingon makeup, and tells Worf the dream of his is a way for Worf to work through his guilt over killing Kataran. Worf says he is guilty over killing a great Klingon leader before he could create an era of peace and enlightenment for his people. And despite killing such a great man in cold blood, their mission failed! On their way back to Earth, Spock and Kor research Klingon history and think they have found an additional pivotal point in time where what should have happened did not. Due to Katara's death, Azik the potent was never born. This Klingon warlord was more known for his multiplicative proclivities than his warrior skills. However, his absence kept him from fathering 24 sons that were supposed to have become great warriors and leaders. That lineage of warrior leadership was supposed to have led to the creation of the Klingon Empire. Instead, hundreds of years later, after centuries of petty, small local despots, a warrior named Baraga came to power and through his use of war machines, like armed airplanes, they were on the brink of taking over the entire planet in a most bloody way. 
rather than taking over the entire planet and eventually being removed from power by a popular uprising, he died in a sabotaged airplane. He became a martyr, and his followers started a bloody massacre against Baraka's opponents. After the massive death toll, the survivors recognized peace was the way, and they made it happen. So, their objective this time is to save Baraga from death so he can take over the entire planet and be removed from power by the people as it should have happened. With no great backlash against the massacres, the Klingons will march on towards the violent but viable 23rd century empire that they don't know but we do know and love. You got all that? All right. The Federation Council and Klingons approve the second mission to fix the timeline, and they head back to the Guardian of Forever. Kor stays behind with Spock this time. Kirk and his five-person team head through the Guardian and into Klingons' past 200 years, later than their first trip. They make their way to the capital that looks very similar to their last trip, except for the many war machines in and outside of the city. Later, outside of town, Kirk and Sulu witness a Klingon pilot doing tricks with his plane of war. While watching, Kirk recalls his days in Iowa, where barnstormers and replica prop planes still flew. He fell in love with flying through those machines. He learned how to fly them and fix them in his youth. Very convenient. The pilot that previously executed successful barrel rolls now stalls his plane unexpectedly on a more challenging trick. The pilot barely lands, but has a broken plane to contend with. Kirk and Sulu come upon the pilot, who is at a loss on how to fix his plane. Kirk offers to help and ends up getting the engine running again. Kirk and Sulu meet up with the rest of the mission team, telling them that they just got jobs as plane mechanics at the sole military airfield in the area. Baraga must be there, too, so with the new job they should be able to keep an eye on him and keep him from harm. McCoy points out that given all the soldiers and tanks in the area, it might end up being they who need to be protected from harm. McCoy again speaks true words, as the next panel shows the team is being observed by some high-tech handheld scanner. A pair of Klingons, one male and one female, have noticed their presence and know that four of them are human and one Klingon. They surmise that the human team is Starfleet, and they are there to stop the pair's efforts to retroactively change Klingon future by messing with its past. They talk about what they should do since the Starfleet team outnumbers them. They decide to follow them, and if an opportunity presents itself, kill them. At the military Air Force base, the pilot congratulates Sulu and Kirk for in one week becoming the best mechanics in the world. The pilot says he noticed they have slept at the airfield a few nights and asks if Kirk has no woman to go home to. Before he can answer, Lord Baraga enters loudly through the front door, asking, Where are his mechanical magicians? Kirk and Sulu, who look like children next to the large Baraga, become Baraga's personal mechanics, when Baraga shoots his current mechanic. Later that night, Kirk and Sulu catch a Klingon, who is attempting to sabotage Baraga's plane... Kirk and Sulu take the saboteur to Baraga's castle, but overzealous guards take them all into custody. When they are taken to a Klingon 
called Lord Haven. He puts all three of them in irons for possibly being part of a larger conspiracy and throws them into a dungeon. No good deed literally goes unpunished these days on Klingon. In chains, Kirk and Sulu discuss their situation. If there is a larger conspiracy, another member of it could kill Baraga while they are in prison. The end. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of overzealous putting Kirk and uh, Sulu in chains, don't you think? I don't know. They were bad. Oh, the Klingons? No, well, I mean, they don't know for sure if Kirk's telling the truth. Well, they don't, but it's like... what? <laughs> I, why should they jump to that conclusion? I mean, all, it's three guys with a story, and right. one guy's you know out like a light or tied up or something. So what, why would you jump to the conclusion? I mean, these guys could just be drunk Klingons walking around with a story. Hey, let's let's pull a practical joke. I don't know, whatever. It it just seemed forced to no. me well, that, that 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 they they automatically imprisoned all three. Had to up the ante of the danger. Well, right. So again. It's like the artificiality of a lot of the old original Ta scripts, where you almost always had to have something, you know, every 15 minutes when you have the commercials come up, you have to have a little something, a little grabber to, to bring people back after the commercial break. So, so too, this seems like a kind of artificial upping of the ante, you know, will they get out, you know, whatever, at the end of this issue to bring, you know, to get you to buy the next one. Right. I'm with you. What do you think of the issue? Of the issue itself, uh, yeah. it's it was it was all right. It was it was uh, like you said in your synopsis, convenient that Kirk is such a uh, propeller plane expert. Yeah, uh, but that's, that that's that fine. seemed a bit forced, also. Right. Uh, of course, he was in engineering in the early part of his career, so maybe right. he always had a knack for that kind of thing that uh, we just didn't see that often when he was a captain. Yeah, and he was always working on his dad's hot rod. Oh, 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 wait, oh okay. That was, that was wrong continuity. Never mind. It was supposed to be a joke. Oh, but um, oh, was that supposed to be the 2009 movie? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which we didn't see a lot of that. I yeah. mean, in the movie itself. But and wasn't it normally him like polishing his dad's car or washing it? Or yeah, something? right. His stepfather's car. Right. Anyway. And then we did have that one annual where it showed that George, he and his dad used to always um, uh, work on that old tractor or something like that. It was kind of like a family right. tradition to keep that tractor up and running. So right, yep. Oh, it does. Like you said, it it does. It's not necessarily incredibly out of left field, but it is mighty convenient for this story. <laughs> exactly right. So I noticed uh, Kirk's hair color and face color changes on page 20 page uh, in 20. in two different panels so yeah oh yeah that last panel where he's suddenly redheaded and white yeah, yeah. <laughs> just you know just a little coloring error hard to not notice given that it was you know kirk was so prominently placed in two different uh, panels on the on the page but right what exactly are they uh the Klingons in these two pages. Um, what's their motivation? Uh, let me. The, the I'm, Klingons, I'm actually not on the, the page. So let me get the to it. The future Klingons that are there scanning them and stuff like that. Oh, them. Because I'll be honest. Well, at this point, and even next issue, I was still a little confused as to why they're there. 
Well, this issue, I was, uh, I just assumed that they were there to sabotage the past. I mean, I assumed that these were the guys that were making Klingon, um, you know, all soft, cuddly, and lovable. That's what I thought they were doing because right. that's what Same they here. did. Same here. But, but as we'll see, and it gets very confusing in the next issue, <laughs> the last issue. Uh, they, they weren't trying to make Klingon soft and cuddly. So this is another. As a matter of fact, they were trying to do just the opposite. So them making the Klingons all soft and cuddly um, uh, apparently was their mistake in their tinkering with the past. Uh, let's, let's and I, and I talk don't, about that. I don't, let's let's talk about that next issue. That's fine. But the thing, yeah. So the main thing is, at this point, I thought they were trying to make them soft and cuddly, which didn't make a lot of sense for any Klingon to want that. Right. Right. You know, I mean, from the normal continuity. Right, exactly. I did like that one of the future conspirators has the uh, Star Trek six Klingon makeup, which is you know like the tighter, the tighter bumps on their head than than like the Next Generation and the earlier. Okay. Because you know, because each movie has a slightly different take on what the Klingons look like, and and Star Trek six definitely has a different take on what Klingon makeup should look like. Right. And I like that one of the like this one guy, this bald guy that kind of looks like Chang a little bit. Right. He kind of has those type of bumps where so in the, in these three issues or five issues, we get to see the smooth-headed, the next generation bumpies, the you know, their the emotion picture era type look uh-huh. and then now Star Trek 6 look. Right. Just kind of cool. Yeah. Throw it all in there. Yeah. And that we now know that all of them live at the same time, mm-hmm. which doesn't quite jibe with you know what we learn in Enterprise, but uh, it's right. came out way before those did. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. So, um, uh, so at this point in the story, I keep on thinking to myself, what the heck is McCoy, Ahura, and Worf doing at this time anyway? You know, in the story, not much. Right. Uh, and and so you know, it just comes to me that the five-person teams all the time, especially in this one, is like turns out to be overkill. Didn't they have six people last issue? Oh, they might have had six, but they got five this time, which is okay. So six is even more overkill. But you know, it just uh, you know normally you don't have such large teams going out and doing things. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's the the the, ter- the terrific trio. But um, they do have a lot of big teams going, and uh, in both cases, they turn out to be overkill. Right. You know what? You actually brought up a good point. On page uh, – what page number is this? 11. 11. Okay. Let me go back to that. We see them jumping into the Guardian of Forever, and there's five people. Right. But yeah, on this one. Shouldn't there be six? Shouldn't there be six? Because there's McCoy, the McCoy, Kirk. Ahura and Sulu, yeah, and then Kor and Worf, six. Okay, Kor didn't go on this trip. He didn't go on the second one. He didn't go on. The, he went on the first one. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, right. yeah, because he's later in the next issue. Okay, yeah, right. You're right. All right, good point. All right, never mind then. Okay. Um. All right, my last comment on this was yeah. the uh, there on page ten shows the Enterprise. Yes. And it's definitely NCC one seven zero one A. Oh, so, uh, yes, it's definitely A. That's right. 
So back in episode 102, we both enjoyed the fact that the Enterprise of the alternate timeline was the NCC-1701, not the A. Oh. So did did this Enterprise... So the, it seems like the timeline has altered a little bit in that the first Enterprise has been destroyed. Oh, interesting. I don't ah. know if it's an intentional... Uh, and an intentional thing or a change or a mistake. I, I say we give them the benefit of the doubt, and it's intentional. It's just another one of those things that ha- go different when you mess around with time. Exactly. So that just makes me wonder. So in, in this new alternate, slightly alternate future, Enterprise did get destroyed, but where, if there was no Genesis planet being attacked by Klingons, where David dies? So just it just brings up a lot of what ifs. Right. But time travel does that. <laughs> yes, it will. And uh, and how interesting how in these stories, um, you know, they're going back and they're trying to restore the timeline, and they are successful in the end. I, I'm I'm sorry for ruining it. Uh, but come on, come, come on. on, come on, you know that. But interesting in the reboot, uh, uh, the movie reboot, that the timeline is different. And no one bothers to try to restore anything. Right. Nah, I'm with you. So yeah. that, you know that that you know because normally in all these kind of stories, you know, you the objective is to get everything back to the way it was, and that and that is successful, but not in the movie reboot. So right, which which is a uh, plot point in the um, ongoing um, that we'll be re reviewing uh, in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Where they do their version of the Mirror Universe uh, story arc, but they also make reference to there could be a Mirror Universe, but we're also in a Mirror Universe, so what would a Mirror Universe of a Mirror Universe look like, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I totally hear what you're saying, and I love where you're going with it, and I think we're going to have a lot to talk about in two weeks when we review uh, Star Trek Ongoing number 15. Cool, which I have not read yet, so... You're giving me a spoiler, but that's okay. I, to be honest, I haven't read it either, but I did thumb through it, and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. Ooh, cool. That is a teaser, my friend. <laughs> All right, so you want to jump into the next one, or did you still have any notes? I on have nothing else to say. All right, so 57, entitled Time Crime, The Conclusion. Seems like old times. Uh, writing staff all the same. Uh, this came out February 1994. So on the cover... Kirk and Sulu, in their Klingon makeup again, stand side by side with their wrists shackled. Uh, Several nasty-looking guns are being pointed at our heroes, and the caption reads, Time's up. So the story starts off with Sulu and Kirk being locked away in a Klingon prison, maybe even the same one Kirk was in several hundred years ago, back in issue number 55. We don't know for sure, that's just a guess. Klingon named Haben escorts them out. They pass a firing squad that kills two prisoners. They then enter Baraga's chambers. The king confronts Kirk about his claim that there's a traitor in his mists. Things are not looking good for our heroes. Outside of the castle, the real Klingon meddlers, which is the Klingon time travelers we saw last issue, are watching the events from afar. These time travelers are wondering if Kirk and company are doing what they were trying to do, which is save Baraga. The woman, Divik, 
says that if the humans are not doing what they're trying to do or what they need to do, then uh, they have some comfort of mind knowing that if they fail, they can always go back in time and try again. Back in Baraga's chambers, he has pointed and fired his weapon at the traitor, who is shown fallen to the floor. And then the camera pans over and we see that it's not Kirk and Sulu because they're standing there watching all this happen. And Baraga is pleased that Kirk informed him of Haven's treachery. He then says he wants to give the traitors and his people a good show. At the airfield, Baraga's plane taxis out on the runway and is ready to take off. McCoy and the other crew in their Klingon makeup watch as the plane takes off. Very quickly, the plane starts to smoke. Perhaps there's more wrong with the plane than Kirk thought, I think is what you're supposed to be thinking. It soon blows up and showers the onlookers with flaming rubble. Kirk and Sulu make their way back to the rooms that the crew has rented. When they arrive, they find that the time-traveling Klingons have their friends at Phaser Point. Back in the 23rd century, Scotty aboard the Enterprise informs Spock, who's on the Guardian planet, that the timeline has reverted back to quote-unquote normal, which means the Romulan Empire's there, Klingons are now... Klingons and not the uh, soft, lovable ones that we had earlier. The Guardian also confirms this statement. But fears start to mount, however, when Kirk and his team has not yet returned. Divik, the uh, female time traveler I was talking about earlier, and her two male counterparts have the Federation crew by gunpoint. One of the males is furious that they thought that the Starfleet crew could be trusted. He also states that they cannot just go back and try again since their ship is running low on fuel. Divik then turns the gun and fires on him. Back in the 23rd century again, everyone is concerned about Kirk's absence. They actually arrest the two Romulan observers due to the possibility of conspiracy to alter time. Without any explanation as to uh, where they're going with this. Back in the past, Divik and the last conspirator hear cheers in the street. And the radio reports that Baraga is alive and well. Kirk then informs her that the flyer was not manned. It was, uh, I guess, remote controlled. I don't know. She's pleased that the timeline has been restored. But she doesn't act pleased because she points her gun at Kirk and tells him that his people in the future will never know about what he did. And he will not be returning home. We flash back to the 23rd century. Spock and Kor are trying to enlist the help of the Klingon High Council to save Kirk in the past. Will they be successful? We don't know, because it cuts off and we're back to the best. Davik informs Kirk that she was trying to make the Klingons a powerful empire again with all this meddling in time. She was aided by some Romulans, but they did not expect the results to be so catastrophic when they, uh, they did it the first time, which means that... Whatever they did the first time with the Romulans' help made them soft and cuddly, and now she's going back to try to rectify that. She beams everybody over to her ship and puts the Federation crew into the brig. Worf and McCoy both lay into her about how stupid her plan is, or was, however you want to look at it. Then the ship is shaken by an attack. How can this be since Klingons of this time do not have spacecraft? She makes her way back to the bridge and finds that she's been fired on by a Klingon battlecruiser. It continues to attack, disabling her ship. She surrenders, and they are all beamed aboard the Klingon cruiser. 
The larger ship then destroys her tiny bird of prey and then slingshots around the sun to return to the 23rd century. The epilogue informs us that Spock and Kor was able to get the council to send the cruiser to the past to stop Davik. Worf is now an attorney, which is what we know he will be in Star Trek VI. And Kor and Kirk part ways. They both have the memories from the correct timeline and of that alternate timeline. Uh, once Kor leaves, Kirk is left alone with his memories of David. The end. Hmm. Hmm. With me on that one, Ken? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm just not sure I want to be with you. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed this five-part series overall. I think there was a little too much jumping back and forth in time and and knowing what the quote-unquote correct timeline should have been. Right. Uh, but overall, I enjoyed it. I, although this issue was just kind of confusing, especially with Davik's... Uh, you know, she seemed like she changed her character by trying to kill Kirk and stuff like that. Yeah, and what was her motivation for wanting to kill the Starfleet team after they were successful in doing what they themselves wanted to get done? I guess the only thing I could think of is that he knew that she was involved in it to begin with and didn't want to, uh, you know, didn't want to get get outed. Yeah, so her little conspiracy would be exposed. Yeah. Right. And, you know, yeah. I don't want to bring up the, you know, this whole thing is about the butterfly effect, right? So yeah. you kill one person in the past, and that drastically changes the future. Not necessarily because that person would have done anything great, but because their ancestors way down the road might have exactly. done Exactly, right. Definitely with that, that whatever is named the potent, right. <laughs> who what, didn't live long enough to, uh, or was never born, to yeah. father the 24 sons or whatever that turned into... Uh, you know, I guess some great, powerful Klingon royal house in the future. Anyway. Yeah, so, but but they do still change time because, you know, like when that bomb goes off and Zar, Zarjak, whatever his name was, was, was killed, there was like six guards with him. Did they not have any influence yeah. in the future? And Maybe yeah. yes, maybe no. And then Habin in this one, he gets killed. Did he get killed in the real timeline? Did he not have any ancestors that would go on to do great things or bad yep. things? Yeah, there's a lot of things being changed in the past, and you're completely right. If if a butterfly's death <laughs> could mean uh, you know so many different things, there are people dying here all over the place that, that shouldn't have been. Yet, it looks like everything's magically back to the right place. Exactly. And, and and the thing, I think that the best stories that I read are either they don't have forced things or you don't recognize the forced things. And there's forced things going on in, in this story arc all over the place. It's like at the end where where Worf's uh, a lawyer back to a lawyer and Kor is uh, you know the military guy he always was uh, instead of a, a historian. And then he, Corey even says, isn't it odd how we remember everything? And it's like, that's forced. Yeah, um, why, why would they have those memories? That doesn't make sense. Right. Unless you're by the Guardian, who is shielding you from that kind of stuff. But... <sighs> but then you should be shielded, and you shouldn't be... Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be a lawyer, and you shouldn't be a warrior. Right. Right? I mean... Exactly. No, you're I, right. was, wasn't Core on... Core and Spock on on uh, on the Guardian planet. planet. Yeah, I believe so. And and Zart, uh, Admiral, what's his name? 
the, the, oh, Jericus? the Romulans, yeah, Jericus. the Romulan guy, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was it was really confusing. Well, it's confusing, but by, uh, getting back to the original point, if stories are forced, or at least you don't really recognize it much where it's forced because it's such a such so well written, mm-hmm. then I like that. But something I give demerits for is when the stories are so forced. Right, and you know, you know, time travel. I mean, I love that line in, um, uh, in Austin Powers. Uh, the Star Trek Voyager, where okay. Janeway's talking about temporal mechanics, and she's yeah. it always gave me a headache. And it's such a great line because it's so true. Anytime you have a time travel story, you always kind of have to figure out what the rules are. You know? Yeah. Kind of like a vampire story. Every time you start a vampire story, all right, what are the rules of this vampire? Story? <laughs> exactly. Because they're 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 slightly. The cross has worked. The cross has not worked. You know, whatever. Do they sparkle in the sun? Do they burn up? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about but the, forced. Same, the same thing goes with time travel. You know, there's there's the whole story of, you know, nothing you can do will change the future. You know, that kind of time travel story or right. anything you change will have will change the future ramifications right. in the future. Yeah. You just got to tell the audience what your rules are for the time travel story and stick to it. Right. And and this one, I didn't think stuck to it here at the end. All throughout it, I thought they did a very good job of. We have to go back in time and fix something that went wrong. You know, very quantum leap style. Right. Um, but then when they got back home, then the you know the part that I thought didn't stick true with what they were saying was, you have both. You have now you have all the memories of them being good and what that future could have been, and you have the memories of what really quote unquote really happened, uh, which that doesn't jibe with what the storyline for the whole five issues was, which was. If once you change something, it's changed. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know, but overall, I liked it. Uh, it. It felt, you know, I could see it being a, you know, a quantum leap type series where you're jumping back in time to fix things that once went wrong. Right. Uh, which, not necessarily a bad thing, because I love some quantum leap. Yeah, that's a good show. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so. I, okay, go ahead. I thought it was kind of interesting how they had six guns, you know, cowboy six guns, mm-hmm. and and they had military vehicles that kind of looked like early 20th century military vehicles and, you know... Uh, like the tanks and stuff? Like the tanks, and and the first development of the, uh, of the planes, mm-hmm. again around the early, you know, uh, 20th century. Um, so... It was kind of interesting how the Klingon development, historical development that they were depicting, you know, it was it had similarities with uh, with Earth development. Right. And, and some of the stuff going on would peg it at around the early 20th century. Some of the things that they were showing, uh, Earth's 20th century. That is. Yeah, like pre World War Two or pre World uh, War One, maybe even. Oh yeah, a little bit before World War One, right? Right. No, I'm with you. So, eh, that was interesting. Yeah, so, okay, so, of course, at the beginning of this I- issue, we see that Baraga doesn't even think twice about it. He's saying, the best mechanics I've ever had, they have nothing to do with the conspiracy to kill me. What are you, crazy? You know, which is completely what I expected at the end of the last issue. Right. It's another forced thing that is going to be totally undone at the beginning of the next issue. 
Right, and and they even they continue it to the point where he shoots somebody. You don't know who he shot. Did he shoot? Did he shoot Kirk? But it, it's Kirk. kind of it, well, you don't know who he shot at first. It just shows the close up of the gun and that it shot. It's shot, and oh. then it, then the next panel shows, oh, Kirk and Sulu are still standing there, and Habin is on the ground. Yeah, but it's like if you're going to try to make us think that you just shot Kirk. You know, make it make me change the page at least. Uh, don't make it just the next panel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you if you do if you are trying to go through some kind of suspense thing, right? Because chances are, when I turned the page the first time, I might have already saw you know Kirk's face later in the page. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the other thing is at this point in the story, it's obvious that. Kirk and Sulu's ability to fix and maintain planes is a very valuable commodity. And Baraga's into his planes. So, it's like there's no... He, he's far more... Val, those two are far more valuable to Baraga than this Hagen guy. Right. Or, you know, whatever his, whatever his name was. Right. Uh, you know, who, who apparently is pretty high up in his, uh, you know, his military chain of command. But Right. Hey. All right, I have one more comment, and again, it has to do with time travel and the Guardian of Forever. So, mm-hmm. why was Spock and them so worried that Kirk wasn't coming back from the future? Because Kirk could have stayed there for years and years and years and still jumped back at the exact moment right. uh, that he was supposed to come back, right? I mean, again, I don't know how they give the nod to the Guardian that I need to come to the future right this second. Right. Uh, but it seemed kind of odd that that Spock was all worried about them not showing up at that given time. Right. And then well, they had then they had to call Kling, uh, another third party to do the slingshot maneuver to yeah just, the Klingons yeah to just uh, you know fix it right Super quick. <laughs> well, obviously he had to be concerned, or else they wouldn't have contacted the Klingons, who you know obviously are closer to the situation. Uh, since they are in Klingon space, which is where all this is happening. Right, so, but but he gives the reason. We couldn't do it because... We're too far we're, away. We're too far away. Right. It's time travel. Just go back an extra day and then give and yourself then a day's worth of travel time. Travel time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> completely right. Like... I have We have control over time. We have, the, we have the Guardian. We can do anything we want to. Exactly. Why didn't he go back? Yeah. Uh, so again, it's just the you know the you're thinking too much the wibbly wobbly timey whininess of time travel. <laughs> Which, by the way, I just want to mention that I thought the Austin Powers approach in the second movie to time travel and explaining it, where they basically just do the you know break the uh, what what do they call the third wall or whatever, and then then uh, and they just speak to the audience to say. Uh, you shouldn't think about this too much. Just enjoy the movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that was is awesome. Ex- that too, is, yeah. yeah, that is excellent uh, advice. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's that's one of the – I love Doctor Who. I, I even like the older ones. But I, I think what they do well, – their version of time travel is different than Star Trek's version because yeah. they know that they, they painted themselves in a corner, and they'll just be like – Eh, next episode, and because it's written the way it is, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. The whole, you know, it's it's good, but it's also kind of more lighthearted, I guess. Yeah. You know, just in the way it's written, um, you don't really care that. Okay, that doesn't really make sense. Why, you know? Yeah. 
that that worked, you know. But right, I you're gonna come back next week to watch it again. Yes, you are. So uh, it's just again, you once you set your rules for time travel, just stick with it. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and sometimes it's not convenient it. for the story, but whatever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, look at Men in Black Three. That that I think they ruined Men in Black Three with the last like five minutes of the movie. Well, I didn't see it, so I don't know. But well, uh, I, I, I heard it was not a blockbuster, so. Well, because they don't stick true with their own rules. All right. Damn it. All right. So anything else, sir? Because we... Not uh, a thing, because we're running out of time. All right. So expanded universe time, December 93 through February of 94. A few novels came out. First one is the Next Generation novel called Here There Be Dragons by John Peel. Uh, this is uh, they go into a nebula. The Enterprise D goes into a nebula and finds a planet just like middle-aged Earth. I have not read this one, but John Peel has written five Star Trek books. Uh, three of them were Deep Space Nine, and two of them were Next Generation. So he's he's a veteran. So I'm pretty sure it's pretty good. All right, next up, Next Generation novel called Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. Her name might be familiar since she wrote uh, issue number 52 of the original series that we covered back in episode 102. Uh, She's also written 12 other Star Trek novels, several comic books for DC Comics, and she even wrote the episode of The Next Generation, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Did you know that? I did not. But uh, what was great about the Dark Mirror book, just real quick, is that it was the only Next Generation Mirror Universe episode or Mirror Universe story up until the uh, Shatnerverse dealt with the Mirror Universe, which was kind of interesting. All right, so that finishes up episode number 105. Next week, we'll talk about Next Generation episodes or issues 55 through 57. Sounds good. Excellent. And I, I did do a little search on CVN 65, the USS Enterprise nuclear vessel. Uh-huh. That was. Uh, Deactivated December 1st of this year. Okay. The next Gerald R. Ford class aircraft is going to be called the USS Enterprise CVN 80. Oh, okay. So they're keeping the name going. Keeping the but name going. But they're not putting an, an A at the end of it. Damn. <laughs> but it's also not scheduled to be finished until 2025. Cool. They're keeping the name. Love it. Yeah, but 2025. Uh, wow, that's a that's yeah. a ways off. It should be CVN 65A, right? I'm that's what I say. <laughs> you got to keep the number. Yeah, I guess they don't. Do those Navy guys not realize anything? Oh, I guess they were there first, and Roddenberry based Star Trek off of them. But come on. So we don't know what's going to happen to the CVN 80 in the future, but we do know that the 65 was the one that uh, Kirk and David were on. Cool. There in the future. All yeah, right, that's point. enough speculating about the future. So uh, I guess we'll uh, be back next week. Sounds good. See you next time, everybody. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. 
or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.